This is the Catholic Money Mastermind Podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of our faith and finances. You can learn more about our organization at catholicfinancialplanners.com. Please note that nothing in this episode should be construed as investment tax or legal advice. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in today to the Catholic Money Mastermind podcast. Uh, very excited to be speaking with you all um, and having you hear from our, our, our um, uh, um, sorry, let me start that over. It's always tough trying to find your voice when recording a podcast. Wait, wait, I hold up. Tom, am I supposed to just listen? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're, you're welcome to. Uh, You've you've heard most of what I'm going to talk about, so uh, I think that's the plan. Okay. okay. Is, is is Diane on the call mainly for compliance purposes on your end, or? Uh, there, I guess the uh, the important thing from a compliance perspective for us is that my compliance folks want to get a recording of the podcast, just so that we can keep it for books and records, uh, and then. Diane, from a marketing uh, perspective, may be helpful to us in terms of uh, you know, finding ways to make this a little bigger than it otherwise could be. Okay, okay. perfect. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today, and welcome to the Catholic Money Mastermind <coughs> Podcast. Um, today, we're going to be speaking with Thomas Duffy, VP of Investment Strategies over at the Knights of Columbus Asset Advisors. And some of the things we're going to be talking about today are focused on morally responsible investing as a whole. And this has been an entire series that we've been putting on as, as a group here at the Catholic Financial Player Network. Um, I also have as a, as a co-host Tyler Hackenberg with me, who's an active member of the Catholic Financial Planner Network. Uh, I myself, Michael Acosta, I'm out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and Tyler's right outside of Philadelphia in the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania area. Um, and we'd like to just thank you, Tom, for joining us. And would love for you to just provide the listeners with a sense of, you know, who you are both personally and professionally. And even if you want to tap into your religious background as a whole and, and kind of how you became partnered with the Knights of Columbus um, from a career standpoint. Absolutely. Thanks, Michael. Uh, I'm Tom Duffy. I'm a cradle Catholic who grew up in Pittsburgh. I've had a very circular career. I began working for the Catholic Church in the late 80s, uh, before I spent over a decade and a half in multinational firms up and down the East Coast. Had the privilege of living in Charlotte for about seven years. Uh, and I returned to the Catholic Church, uh, serving as the CFO for the Archdiocese of Washington in our nation's capital. And then in 2015, I was fortunate enough to join Knights of Columbus Asset Advisors, where the only two things that I know, church and investments, happen to intersect. So my wife and I call Connecticut home and try to keep track of our kids who are located in uh, Connecticut, Florida, Japan, and Australia. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, I know. I myself am also cradle Catholic and um, didn't actually go through RCIA until later on in my life growing up single single parent sports were really my, my main focus. And I think as a lot of cradle Catholics, the religion somewhat often falls on the back burner, especially when you get into high school. Um, but definitely found a higher appreciation for, for my faith in my early twenties when I was going through RCIA and actually joined the Knights at that, at that time. Uh, I'm now a fourth degree Knight. And I honestly didn't realize that the Knights of Columbus had a wealth management division. Um, you know, everyone knows about the fraternal benefit group, 
um, the insurance piece of things and all the charitable giving and volunteering that the Knights do worldwide as one of the biggest Catholic charities. Am I correct? Absolutely. Uh, we've given away over a billion and a half dollars over the last decade. Uh, but you're right. The uh, investment uh, program was only launched in 2015. So it, for a 140-year-old organization, it's a relatively new entry. Gotcha, gotcha. And so when, you know, when, when getting into to the wealth management space as an organization, where did you guys find the foundational framework for the development and design of your investment strategies with respect to, to the Catholic teachings and, and just the USCCB guidelines? Like how do you pull all that together? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think what we like to do is focus in on that moral compass. Uh, and, and I love that as an analogy, because uh, when you're following that magnetic north of church teaching, the point is always the same. And that's true for our lives. It's true not just when you're holding a compass in your hand, but we can't follow Catholic teaching only on Sundays and then disregard moral truths when it comes to our secular lives. So, of course, we're all obligated to provide for the financial needs of our families, uh, but we can't align ourselves to a different truth when money's involved. So, we're called to follow church teaching, which acts as that magnetic north, right? to guide our actions and our decisions in public and in private. And that's the basic underpinnings of the investment program that the Knights of Columbus have founded, because we wanted to be able to make that available, not just for ourselves and the money that the Knights manage, but for other Catholic institutions, right down to the investor uh, who might have just a few thousand dollars to put, put towards uh, whether it's retirement or college savings or any other goal they may have. Gotcha, gotcha. And and are you finding that when having these conversations with clients, it's easy and relatable and as far as just a philosophy standpoint, being that obviously in the secular world, our, our attention span is being pulled in every direction, right? And we're living in an interesting time where, you know, um, historical high inflation, supply chain issues, the Fed's talking about increasing interest rates. There's, you know, confrontation with Ukraine and Russia, which is putting pressure on our country as well as some of the other countries throughout the world. You know, with, with all of this going on, sustaining life has been somewhat of a, of a main point of focus for many families, those who are religious, you know, practicing Catholics and those who, who might not be religious at all. So are you finding that when you sit down with your clients that, you know, they do align with that philosophy being that, and correct me if I'm wrong, most of the clients that you guys bring on as an organization are active, you know, participating Catholics, um, typically men, right? At least that's where the initiation of the, of the relationship begins. So I think it's very true that the folks who are interested in investing with Knights of Columbus Asset Advisors are active Catholics, uh, folks who want to make sure they're aligning their faith and their finance. Uh, many of those folks are members of the Knights, but one of the great things about what we're doing with Knights of Columbus Asset Advisors is that it's not limited to membership in the Knights. Uh, anyone who is a friend of the Catholic Church who wants to ensure that they have an integrity in their portfolio that matches their personal actions can come to us and invest with as little as a few thousand dollars. And was it 
So walk us through the genesis of the idea of aligning the Knights of Columbus. Was the investment side brought on top of it, or was it uh, just an organic growth? Oh, that's a great question. Thanks, Tyler. The, uh, the components have existed with Knights of Columbus literally since the 1800s. So going back to our founding uh, in 1882, we always wanted to provide for the financial security of Catholics. That was the genesis of the order. Uh, we began managing money in the 1800s, have run it straight through you know, over three different centuries now. And it wasn't until 2014 that we actually uh, took the capabilities that we had and peeled them out from Knights of Columbus. We are a wholly owned subsidiary of the Knights, but we got peeled out in order to protect the tax status of the order so that we could provide this capability that we had that really even before the bishops published the United States Conference of Catholic Bishop Guidelines, the USCCB Guidelines on Catholic Investing, the Knights of Columbus were investing with an eye towards Catholic teaching. And so given that experience and having the ability to manage our own funds with the general account of our insurance company, we had a capability where there was a very clear need. And for years, we weren't able to make it available to anyone other than ourselves. So we had to build out from this capability that's 140 years old to allow it to be made available to institutions like Catholic dioceses, Catholic foundations, universities and hospitals, as well as individual investors who say, I'd like to make sure that my profits are not being earned from the activities that I would find to be offensive in my personal life. I can't have that dichotomy of uh, it's okay to earn money one way, but I don't believe that it's appropriate. Really that following the moral teachings of the church to ensure that we don't profit from bad things and we in fact reinforce what's going on that's good in the world to ensure that we're investing appropriately. And, and you mentioned that you guys are able to serve and offer your services to investors or clients with as little as, you know, $1,000. And I would imagine the sky's the limit, right? Someone came with you, came to you with $10 million. You guys would have a solution for that or a strategy of some sort. From an investment offering standpoint, keeping those dollar amounts in mind, are there different tiers for the type of implementation that you guys offer? Or is it, is it typically going to be some form of traditional mutual fund, exchange traded funds that you guys go into with higher net worth clients, like individual stock portfolios that you design yourselves? What, is, what does that look like from an implementation standpoint? Yeah. The Knights offers a number of different products and services uh, depending on uh, the client. And uh, we do have uh, several uh, uh, investors who are tens of millions of dollars uh, who've come to us. They're generally institutional in nature. Uh, but we do have several, uh, including multi-million dollar individuals who've come to us. Uh, we have, for any investor, a, we can build a model portfolio using a very diverse uh, family of mutual funds. Uh, we can build those model portfolios and they are provided by our 40-person investment team uh, led by Tony Monopoly. Uh, we run approximately $30 billion in assets 
And so the very same strategies that the Knights uses for our own money is a made available. Uh, those strategies are made available to individual investors. And obviously, uh, as the assets grow, you have a little bit more flexibility in terms of how you can invest uh, to include private investment vehicles uh, and so forth. But without crossing any lines on the compliance side and talking about things I'm not allowed to, uh, I can say that we have a great deal of flexibility in terms of uh, product delivery. Understandable, understandable. And I appreciate you divulging in that. And and it, as I'm sure many uh, listeners understand that there's a fine line of, of what compliance will allow us to, to divulge in um, and what they won't allow at any given moment. So I appreciate that. Um, and and I, I won't say I'm a novice when it comes to you know, morally responsible investing or socially responsible investing. But it's, if this is something that has come about probably with, within what, the last 20 years, 15, 20 years, where it's become more prominent in society, where investors are wanting to align their dollars with their faith or their, their social beliefs or their environmental beliefs. And so my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that there are really three main components or dimensions to values-based investing or morally responsible investing. And it's avoid, embrace, and engage. Um, are you able to provide a brief explanation of, you know, if and how those three dimensions uh, fit within your firm's strategies and what you guys are doing to support one or more of those dimensions, be, you know, as you design these investment strategies or these model portfolios? Yeah, and every one of those three is important. Uh, when you think about the avoid dimension really goes to the call to do no evil, right? There's a real distinction between avoiding the evil of specific acts, which we're always required to do, uh, and pursuing good. That, that's the embrace component. We are called to do both, but the embrace component can be done in a variety of different ways, really guided by prudence. So maybe let's talk a little bit more about the avoid dimension. Now, that's fairly straightforward, right? The USCCB, uh, again, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, they tell us to not invest directly in anyone, say, involved in abortion. Okay? When they provide that direction to us, we avoid investing in those securities. Uh, so perhaps an, an example would be helpful. Uh, Knights of Columbus had invested in Amazon for years, and we were handsomely rewarded for that. Uh, but a while back, Amazon bought a firm called PillPack, which is primarily a mail-order pharmacy. And PillPack offers abortion drugs or abortifacients. And Amazon directly profits from that act. So consequently, we no longer will own Amazon because the USCCB guidelines don't permit us to be owners of abortion providers. Okay? So the flip side then of that coin is to look at embracing good actors. Once we screen the whole universe of securities and it's been sort of sifted into only those things that are acceptable, uh, and, and we've missed that avoid the evil component, uh, we might have two companies that have similar risk and return characteristics. And so the Knights are going to prefer, prefer those names that have more positive characteristics, right? We're looking for folks who are doing good. And without mentioning any specific names, which would require me to include copious caveats and disclosures and so forth from my compliance department, uh, I'll just say that we have uh, examples of, say, a mining uh, or a utility investment, okay, where we're biased towards companies because they have maybe behaved responsibly or 
they've been careful in reducing their impact on groundwater uh, contamination or carbon emissions, and they're caring for the environment. That's not only good for our common home, but it helps to avoid costly fines and regulations. And that can have a real negative shock on any company's bottom line. And this is uh, truly a situation where good actions can produce good financial outcomes. And uh, I guess just to wrap up the, your question, that there are examples of both good and bad firms, of course, but the USCCB also seems to recognize there are shades of gray, right? And here's where we're called to engage that third uh, component that you mentioned. These firms maybe aren't intrinsically evil that we have to completely avoid them, but we're still called to engage with them, to encourage them to better their behavior, right? An example of this could be, say, a firm that supports LGBTQ causes that go beyond respecting the dignity of every human person, right, to advocating for harmful activities. And this type of engagement would include, say, actively voting proxy solicitations or uh, private or public pressure to have these companies uh, change their actions. So, I guess maybe it's also worth mentioning the latest update from the USCCB encourages Catholics to join together into objecting to various anti-Catholic activities. And uh, one of the things that the Knights are building is a capability in hopes of assisting the Catholic community with that opportunity. And so we're excited about being able to bring that forward as we move down the road. So no, maybe and, to and some... I really go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, just to summarize, uh, the USCCB guidelines contain both those negative screens, which include, or, I'm sorry, which, which exclude participation in certain actions uh, that are objectively evil. And we've got positive screens, which call for the active pursuit of justice through proactive prudential measures on the part of investors so that we can rely, so we can range from engagement to embracing those good actions. Gotcha. No, and I appreciate you going into going into great detail and in how you tie in the avoid, the embrace, and engage. And and earlier, I guess it was near the uh, earlier in the year or near the end of last year, um, you know, we received the updated USCCB guidelines and we've reviewed them. I, I'm actually, honestly, Tyler's the one that shared it within our our network uh, social um, community group. And so, you know, I was reading through it, and that was one of my that has always been one of my biggest questions. Is, how do you differentiate between those who are directly profiting based on their services and offering um, in, towards something that's intrinsically evil versus those who are indirectly supporting, right? And, and, and one, of the, one of the common themes that came up in our open discussion during a, a small group meeting was, you know, what about companies who make matching donations upon their employees' gifts? And so, you know, you take someone like, I don't know, like a Microsoft, for example, so say they have a matching component, not saying that they do or they don't, but a matching component and an employee says, hey, I want to give $250 a paycheck to, um, you know, a company that, that promotes and supports the LGBTQ community or even, you know, Planned Parenthood, whatever it may be. And Microsoft is now committed to making that matching contribution to those charities of the, of the employee's choice. How does that affect, if at all, the the selection process like at that mm -hmm. point is it more of a matter of engagement and 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 trying to you know use voting rights or proxies to address that 
because that's not necessarily something that they're benefiting from directly, um, intrinsically, right? From a that's, that's correct. Uh, I think maybe uh, an analogy here would be helpful. If you think about uh, if you gave your neighbor $50 for his birthday and your neighbor was a butcher at the local you know, grocery store and he bought, bought a knife with your $50 and he went to his job and he butchered meat with your knife, um, would you be directly responsible for the butchering of meat? Well, the answer is no. Uh, and so if you own a company that gives, in your example, $250 to offensive organizations, and let's say it was Planned Parenthood, and Planned Parenthood then used the $250 to sadly butcher children in uh, a very direct analogy, uh, you would not be responsible at that company level for the evil that the Planned Parenthood is doing. Uh, any more than you would be responsible for you know, carving steaks uh, with your neighbor. So we should engage with those companies and we should implore them to stop doing this particular action. Uh, but it's not intrinsically evil to own the profits of that company. And frankly, if there are shareholders who are demanding dividends or are demanding profits to be directed towards them to keep them away from matching gifts or other programs that might be offensive. Um, that's an appropriate action for a Catholic in good standing based on the review. And uh, I offer this as a financial professional, but I've had the great good fortune of working with a lot of uh, priests throughout my career. And we actually employ a moral theologian. Uh, to my knowledge, we're the only uh, investment firm in the world that employs a moral theologian. But we have these discussions before we buy companies to ensure that our approach is consistent with Catholic teaching. Thank you. No, thank you for that. And and and, and I like how you, I like that analogy that you use because you're right. Because in that essence, in that instance, you're you're not directly tied to that action, right? Mm -hmm. And the case has been made even from other Catholic advisors who, who feel at times that socially responsible or morally responsible investing is more of a marketing gimmick than anything else. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, you do give up some potential upside by shifting the strategies away from some of these, you know, top tiered companies that, that generate massive returns year over year over year, right? Using Amazon as an example, someone that, that you, you mentioned early on in today's conversation. And so I guess that's where we get into, and you've already talked about it some, the difference between patronage and ownership, right? Because some of these investors who, you know, we could take a medical profession who have very little exposure during their education and training on investing finances, um, may not truly understand how a mutual fund works or even exchange traded fund, right? It's, it's essentially just a basket of underlying companies so that you can, have access to a, a larger, you know, plot of diversification and, and more companies at a lower buy-in or price point. So if they're not really aware of what makes up that mutual fund, especially if it's a fund of funds, are they really at fault from an ownership standpoint? Um, because it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Does that make sense? Does that question make sense? 
Yeah, I, it does. And I, I think there are two parts to it. Uh, there's the patronage versus ownership question. And then there's the how do you define the, the mutual fund and the underlying holdings? And so I think let's take the mutual fund question first. Uh, you can't sort of stick your head in the sand as an ostrich and ignore what your mutual fund owns because it's readily available. Um, every mutual fund publishes its holdings twice a year legally. They're required to do so, and many of them do it more often than that. So it's very easy to find out what your funds hold. And just by saying, I haven't looked, you can't sort of, uh, you know, put your eyes, your hands over your eyes, ears, and mouth and say, uh, I haven't seen or heard any evil, so therefore it's, uh, you know, uh, it's okay. Uh, even in this case of an index fund, um, we know what's in the index. It's a published index. So you can't say, well, I'm just buying a basket of stuff and there's some bad things in there, but it's okay because it's just a small part. Um, I, I've often used a, an analogy that, if I went home and I told my wife that I had been 99% faithful to my marriage vows, I mean, she'd probably throw a frying pan at me. And so saying that my <laughs> mutual fund is 99% Catholic right, is the same thing as saying it's not. Uh, and so just being occasionally unfaithful or uh, you know, whether it's to your beliefs or your spouse is not okay from a Catholic perspective. So that would be the the view on the the first half of that question to your other question on patronage versus ownership it's a really thoughtful question and and we get that a lot so let's say for example you've got a pharmaceutical company that makes a life-saving or a life-improving drug and they're the only company that makes that drug well the church says that catholics in good standing can patronize that company you can buy that drug and use it with a clean conscience uh, that's true even if the same company engages as an evil act, such as producing a life-destroying drug. But this is what the moral uh, theologians would refer to as remote material cooperation with evil. Uh, but if there were an option to buy that substitute drug from a different firm, even at a higher cost, okay, if you bought it from another firm that didn't produce a life-destroying drug because there was a good substitute, Catholics would prefer to do that to patronize the other firm uh, if, if that was possible. I would say that Catholic hospitals are faced with that patronage dilemma every day, right? It's, it's very different from ownership, though. Ownership of the stocks or the bonds issued by a firm that profits from morally illicit acts is material cooperation with evil. And as Catholic investors, we'd be directly profiting from those immoral acts, and therefore ownership crosses the line, whereas patronage may not. That's why even owning the, the mutual funds you know, that own all those stocks in the index fails the test because you're a direct owner of those funds. That's interesting in, in, in how you position that. And, and, and you're right. I mean, you are a direct owner of the mutual fund. and it would be prudent as an investor to do your own due diligence as far as what the underlying funds are, especially if you have a desire to align your money with your faith, right? Because at the end of the day, the dollars that we as investors invest, you know, those are our dollars. So we should be able to choose where those are being allocated. Now, the biggest, the biggest concern and question that I find with investors and advisors alike who aren't very knowledgeable 
of the morally responsible investing um, approach is, well, would I not be giving up, you know, some alpha or some potential growth or, you know, return? And uh, I have a, uh, you know, I have two older sisters and, and one of my sisters, she shared with me that, you know, for, with respect to raising their children that, you know, it's, it's heaven over Harvard, right? And so same thing when it comes to, to our assets, is it that we're just striving for a certain level of growth because we want a certain level of comfortability in life when we reach our, our retirement age? Um, or should we mainly be focused on doing the will of God and aligning our assets with, with our faith, even if that means we're giving up, you know, one, two, three percent growth potential long-term? Well, that's one of the things that, uh, and you mentioned earlier about kind of the 20 plus year history of uh, socially responsible investing. When I first started in this space, the question that I got all the time was, how much does it cost me? What do I give up? And what has happened, and there have been a number of empirical studies on this, is that by avoiding companies that do uh, risky slash immoral things, you actually tend to do equally as well as you would from a performance standpoint, but you have less risk because you don't get the wild swings. You know, if you have a company that thinks it's okay to pollute or you don't have to follow uh, federal guidelines, they get sued uh, and they end up with a much more volatile stock price. And so, uh, again, I, as you appreciate, I like my analogies. Uh, it's roughly the same thing as being told that you can only fish in 90% of the Pacific Ocean. Well, you can still make a good living fishing in 90% of the Pacific Ocean. The universe is enormous. And the roughly 10% of the names that get screened out of the universe uh, due to Catholic teaching are not uniquely better. There's nothing about those firms that's intrinsically higher performing than the rest of the universe. And so if you randomly remove 10% of the, of the population, whether it's the space in the ocean in which to fish or the space in which to fish for names for a portfolio, you can do equally as well. And again, avoid some risk along the way. And that's a, that's a great thing. Um, one thing on my mind is along the lines of investment philosophy, um, but also in the ESG space specifically, there's a term called greenwashing. And so where does the data come that Knights of Columbus used to prevent quote unquote Catholic washing of mutual funds or individual stocks? Yeah. And, and, and before you dive into that, Tom, just for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with that term of greenwashing or Catholic washing, um, if, if you have your own definition of that, if you'd be willing to share that just so that our listeners can be educated a little bit in today's conversation if they haven't been already. Sure. Uh, I would think of greenwashing as someone who sort of uh, claims to be environmentally aware. Uh, and then would go out and you could buy all the uh, fossil fuels that you wanted and say, well, uh, maybe this one's working towards something that's better. And it's, it's very much a uh, positioning of uh, form over substance. Uh, you don't have to necessarily dive in and really get into the details of that in order to claim that you're socially responsible. And I think 
that's one of the things I've got a colleague who jokes that uh, what's the fastest thing on earth? Uh, it's not a cheetah. It's not a jet plane. It's not even the speed of light. It's the speed of people who are claiming to do socially responsible investing. Uh, the, the growth is just phenomenal. Uh, and it's been very popular because it has uh, attracted an enormous following of people who really want to be able to marry their faith and their finance, or at least their their broadly held beliefs with their investments. And so Knights of Columbus has been around for 140 years. And I can assure you that it was not a nefarious plot by Father McGivney uh, in 1882 to start an organization that might somehow be able to uh, you know, convince people over the next decade and a half nearly that we're really Catholic. Um, we, we are a Catholic organization. It's the only thing we've ever done. And so while I applaud all those folks who have sort of come late to the party and decided they'd like to get in on this, um, their level of conviction uh, hopefully is uh, growing and will eventually get to be as strong as ours. But very often it's uh, finance people and marketing people who are trying to find a way to fit what they currently do into the most popular uh, fad of the moment. And uh, while we're quite confident that Catholicism is not a 2,000-year fad, uh, we feel very confident that the way that we approach it, particularly with a moral theologian on staff, is really consistent with the teachings of the church. And while lots of people in good faith will look at our portfolio or any other portfolio and say, well, geez, I think maybe you shouldn't buy that name or you should buy a different name, um, the only thing that we can say with certainty is that we are endeavoring every day to follow 100% of church teaching. And just as importantly, we don't try to be more Catholic than the bishops. We find that to be an impossibility. And so if they don't tell us that you can't buy something, right, they're maybe in that engage category as opposed to the, the avoid category then we're going to stop at engage and not try and be more Catholic than the bishops. So we find that to be a really simple, bright line test that allows us to comply with Catholic teaching, with recognizing that people of good faith have uh, you know, sometimes uh, an opinion that the bishops haven't gone far enough or maybe have gone too far in other areas. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for that answer. Um, would you say your investment philosophy is more in line with the active management of the funds or passive creating an index of stocks that mimic the market? Uh, Knights of Columbus does offer both indexing and active management, uh, but we're really uh, major believers in active. Uh, and this is not just because uh, we tell people that it's because we have nearly $30 billion that's invested of our own cash and uh, all of that, with the exception of the seed money we put into the index fund, is invested in active management. So we, uh, we are fully committed to active from our approach. And, and so being that you guys are more so slated towards the active, um, you know, let's, let's use 2020 as an example, right? So the year started off pretty, pretty promising. We got into, you know, late February, March. And market dropped somewhere around 40, 45% over the course of a month, month and a half. What were the Knights doing or as far as the, the investment um, managers at that, at that point within your team? 
Were they making adjustments based on changes to new data entering the market and the economy, or I guess the global economy as well with lockdowns and mandates and spiking cases of coronavirus? Or was it, hey, let's wait and see how this plays out and then changes are made later on in the year? And, and I'd like to give the example of like a Vanguard, right? Like I think we all know that Vanguard's very passive buy and hold. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's not a mystery to most investors. And they maybe make a change to their strategies once a year, right? And it's, it's a rebalance. Maybe they're changing out one of the underlying funds, their holdings, but very passive. So being that you guys are more on the active side, you know, what was kind of going through your minds at that point and what changes were being made? And you don't have to divulge to the specific changes, but maybe some of the pivots. Yeah, any. sure. Uh, it's a great question. Uh, one of the things that we're going to be doing throughout any circumstance like that uh, is effectively reviewing the portfolio almost on a daily basis. Do you still want to buy? If you had a dollar to invest today, would you still invest it in those same stocks that you own? And what we find is that there are uh, stocks that perform well in bear markets and stocks that perform well in, in bull markets. So being able to tilt our portfolio when we see that the market is crashing or running, uh, there are categories of uh, stocks that do better. And so we tilt our portfolios to take advantage of that. And so there are other fundamental actions that we take where we're going to be reviewing to say, hey, what's going on, uh, say, with technology firms when everyone's going to be working remotely? A lot of those firms can benefit. We can take advantage of that by getting ahead of it. Um, now that people are coming back to work, uh, I don't know about you, but I have to say I, I put a little weight on during the uh, time of COVID and uh, sitting in my in my basement doing my work is a little bit different than going to the office every day. And so clothing manufacturers are actually seeing an uptick because people need new wardrobes. I can't wear the same suits that I wore before I went out, perhaps. Or maybe uh, maybe I've been very aggressive and other people have worked out a lot because they've had no commuting time and they've been able to devote that to other purposes that might allow them to uh, lose a few pounds that they've been trying to do for, for years or longer. So there are names along those paths that allow us to take advantage of the changes that are occurring in society, uh, not just in the markets, but in the, the psyche of the American population as well. So there are lots of opportunities uh, without getting into explicit names as to how we can play. And we find that active management really adds value, particularly in times of market disruption. So it's been, uh, it's been very successful for us over the short time here of the COVID window. You know, that, that's very interesting. I didn't even think about that as, as an aspect of some of the changes that have taken place socially. And, you know, I myself am working on losing a couple pounds that I gained over the course of the last 20 plus months of, you know, initially not being able to go to the gym because of mandates and lockdowns and businesses being closed, not commuting, which depending on how long your commute is, may be beneficial to you, may not be right. Um, at least for your sanity's sake. Um, and, uh, so I didn't even think about the whole new clothing wardrobe, although I'm due to get a couple of new suits as I start to go back into the office because the waistline's a little bit wider than it used to be. Um, so so I, I like that you brought that up because that is out of the box that I think a lot of people haven't even really considered with what's taken place since March of 2020 to now as we still continue to, to deal with the effects of coronavirus and the pandemic. So 
you know, up to this point, I think you've done a very successful job in making the case that morally responsible investing is wise, right? Especially for those practicing Catholics who would like to align their money with their faith and giving them an avenue or outlet to, you know, at least start doing their own due diligence and investigating, um, you know, if it's the right fit for them, because there aren't a ton of players in that space, especially those that are Catholic focused, right? There are some that are religious focused or Christian focused, but not specific to the Catholic faith. There's very few. Um, also, in today's conversation, I think you've done an excellent job in busting some of the common myths around morally responsible investing and the cost being higher, right, um, to get that level of management with all the additional due diligence on, on your end for screening the companies at various, various levels before you finalize the structure of the fund itself with the underlying companies. Uh, also, that, you know, you typically give up some performance, right, which you've, you've stated isn't the case isn't the case at all that you can actually do well and have your money perform well with you both, you know, socially and personally. Now we know that there's still going to be some individuals who are listening in that still have, that are still skeptics, right. Um, who are, who still have hesitations around morally responsible investing. What would be your closing remarks to those listeners in trying to, I wouldn't necessarily say change their minds, but enlighten them to maybe peel the onion back a little bit further before they shut the door completely on the idea. Yeah, I think uh, the bottom line is uh, what's ultimately important. And so uh, there's no strategy that outperforms in all markets in all time periods. We're very proud of the results that our Knights of Columbus funds have produced. Our mutual funds have performed quite well, with some of them having received awards for performance, competing against every other investment firm out there. That's not just the socially responsible or the Catholic firms, that's every investment manager. So we're very proud of that. Uh, I'd certainly uh, you know, love to talk some more about the details, but uh, you know, without getting into numbers that will make my compliance folks' heads turn around, uh, I'm going to pause there. The fact is Knights of Columbus has existed for 140 years. Uh, we have the highest rating for financial strength that is available to a U.S. insurance company by independent S&P uh, and Moody's. Uh, in fact, so since 1991, we've had the highest rating from Standard & Poor's uh, available to U.S. insurance companies. So we've done that in large part because of the ability for us to manage money successfully, which is not only with our Catholic uh, guidelines, but with uh, the approach that we've taken using active management, not just buying the market and going to sleep. So there's proof not only empirically and in theory, but 140 years of our organization's existence that says this works and we're proof that you can do well and do good. So we're very proud of that. And uh, you know, on top of that, we've also got opportunities uh, for charity. And uh, it's probably another topic for another day, but uh, things like donor advised funds and other philanthropic products are ones that uh, we'd love to talk about at some point in the future because that gives folks the opportunity to not just do well for themselves, but to turn around and put a hand back to help somebody else up the, the uh, hill. So 
look forward to uh, the opportunity to follow up at some point in the future, but hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, no, and, and, and we'll definitely follow up on that topic. We were actually this past month had a uh, small group um, case study roundtable around charitable giving and planning and donor advice funds. So that would fit perfectly as we provide that content to our, to our listeners and viewers. Um, well, you know, we're, we're just at about 40 minutes, which, you know, we start to lose uh, attention span at that point for some individuals. Um, I'd like to really thank you, you know, for your time today and joining us on the Catholic Money Mastermind show and look forward to, like you mentioned, hopefully being able to collaborate again in the future and continue to share this relationship along with our Catholic faith. Um, but before I let you go, can you offer any parting thoughts regarding today's conversation? And for anyone who wants to learn more about the Knights of Columbus and, you know, just have readily available resources, where would you send them? Our website is KOFC, K-O-F-C, Asset Advisors, and advisors is O-R-S uh, dot org. Uh, we have a, a white paper there that I think would be really helpful for folks uh, that talks about the USCCB guidelines and gets into a little more detail on Catholic investing and some of the benefits of it, uh, as well as the theological principles behind it. So I think that's great. Uh, Maybe helpful for many of your listeners. Uh, maybe the final point that I'll leave you with is the uh, Knights of Columbus aren't just an insurance and investment provider for Catholics and their families. Right? We also offer donor-advised products. So the fact that you can find that guard, grow, give component, right? Guarding for insurance, growing for investments, and uh, giving for charitable purposes can all be wrapped up uh, in, in one place that's consistent with Catholic teaching. So you never have to sacrifice your integrity to make or give a dollar. So Hopefully that's helpful. And uh, it's been a real pleasure, gentlemen, uh, Mike and Tyler. I appreciated your time and uh, and the great questions you've asked. So thanks so much. Yeah, thank, thank you, Tom. You. And uh, we appreciate you being on today and look forward to future collaboration. Absolutely. My pleasure.